Welcome to Econ Talk, part of the Library of Economics and Liberty. I'm your host, Russ Roberts of Stanford University's Hoover Institution. Our website is econtalk.org, where you can subscribe, comment on this podcast, and find links and other information related to today's conversation. You'll also find our archives where you can listen to every episode we've ever done going back to 2006. Our email address is mail at econtalk.org. We'd love to hear from you. Today is September 11th, 2015, and this episode is a follow-up of sorts to the interview I did this summer with Alvin Roth. In that interview, we talked about some of the creative ways that Roth and others have helped encourage kidney donation. And at one point in that episode, Roth mentioned in passing that there's only one country in the world where it's legal to buy and sell kidneys, that country being Iran. And I almost asked Roth about that and what he knew about it, but I missed the, the chance. The interview moved along, and that was that. And then, as fate would have it, a few weeks later, Tina Rosenberg, author and writer at the New York Times, wrote a piece in the Times on the Iranian kidney market and the possible implications in a second piece that she wrote for the United States. And she is our guest today. Tina, welcome to Econ Talk. It's a pleasure to be here. Thanks. So to start with, um, here in the United States, there are a lot more people uh, who want a kidney transplant than there are kidneys available. And this is true in most countries in the world. Um, what happens to those folks generally uh, who have who are desperately in need of a kidney because their kidneys aren't working? Well, some of them have relatives or friends who can donate a kidney, um, and therefore they can have that transplant done. Kidney um, matching is is fairly easy to do. There's a lot of leeway. It's not anywhere near as difficult as trying to find, for example, a match for a bone marrow um, transplant. So in a lot of cases, that does happen. The people who don't have that, however, have to go on a waiting list. And in the U.S., that waiting list varies a lot by region, but in some places, it can be as long as 10 years. And in the meantime, they're on dialysis, and a lot of people don't survive that long. And dialysis, uh, I think it's about $80,000 a year. Is that correct? I think that is right. Uh, yes. Mm-hmm. And it's a strikingly— Which is paid for, by the way. This is the one— kind of treatment that Medicare pays for no matter how old the patient is. Yeah, it was a strange thing. My, my, if I got this number correct, I think 28% of Medicare's budget is dealing with kidney uh, problems, which is rather surprisingly large, at least to me. Wow. Wow. That is, I did not know that. That's amazing. Uh, I hope it's a true statement, uh, but I think it is. Uh, I've got a few other facts here just to set the stage. Uh, it says uh, there are currently 123,000 or so people waiting for transplants um, in the U.S. Uh, of any kind. 101,000 are waiting for kidneys. That's as of April of this year. 100. So think of 100,000 people. Um, in 2014, there were 17,000 transplants. So that's a huge number. It's wonderful, but not when there are 100,000 people waiting. And of those 17,000, 5,000 or so came from living donors, and about twice that many came from people who had died in a car accident or other ways that allowed them to uh, donate their kidney. And about Right. We forgot about that. That's, a, that's very important. Deceased donors are very important, and obviously they can give two kidneys instead of one, so correct. they can save two lives. And one, two last uh, fact, a few last facts. Over 3,000 new patients are, are added to the kidney waiting list each month. Tragically, 12 people die each day, 12, waiting for a kidney transplant. And um, in 2014, that was 4,270 people who uh, passed away. And another 3,617 became too sick while waiting to be able to receive a transplant. So this is a... It's a it's a terrible terrible problem, and my understanding is it's getting worse uh, as diabetes is growing. Yeah, obesity is is a big problem that is causing diabetes, and diabetes causes kidney failure. So, with rising obesity and diabetes rates, um, people needing kidney transplants, that number has been rising and rising. So, what happens in Iran that's different? The only country that allows a leak. There's a lot of black market activity in kidneys uh, around the world, but uh, in Iran, it's legal. So what happens there? Well, when I first heard that Iran pays kidney donors, 
I thought that's a big black market right there. Um, but that is actually not the case. It's, it is not the black market. In some ways, it's a, it's a response to a black market because if you can buy a kidney legally, then um, you don't have to do one under the table, which leads to all sorts of abuses. Iran, out of necessity after the revolution, um, well, let me, let me just back up. After the revolution in 1979, Iran was broke. Their assets were frozen overseas. Um, and so they decided they couldn't support people on dialysis because dialysis is actually much more expensive than providing a kidney transplant because a kidney transplant you do once and dialysis you do forever. So they started sending Iranians who needed kidney transplants overseas, mainly to, to, to Britain, to get them. All expenses paid. And that then became unsustainable for them. So they said, we are going to start a program where we pay kidney donors. And the, um, the state set up a price. Um, there was a system that was run by kidney patients, essentially. Um, there was a, a lot of testing done, medical testing and psychological testing and financial counseling for people who were coming forward to try and sell their kidneys. And very important, the rule that you had to be the same nationality as your, uh, as your donor, which meant that people coming from, people could not come from overseas and get kidneys from Iranians. Only Iranians could get kidneys from Iranians. And, um, Afghan refugees had to have donors who were also Afghan refugees. So they started this system where, um, they eliminated essentially their kidney waiting list. People could get matched instantly. In fact, it was the donors who were on a waiting list. Um, I want to donate my kidney. I've gone through some testing and now I'm just waiting for the right patient to come up. And that, um, worked quite well for a while. It works considerably less well today, largely because of budget issues. Um, but it is the donor system is still, is still in place in Iran and still has, essentially remove from the equation the long wait to find a kidney donor. So let's talk a little bit about the financial, the monetary part of this. Um, there are costs to doing the operation, the, the transplanting, the removal of the kidney, and then the putting, transplanting the kidney into the, into the recipient, obviously. There's costs associated with testing, counseling, pre-op, post-op, et cetera. And in addition, there's the payment for the kidney itself. So try to describe how that, uh, how that fits together. Right. Well, the, the medical costs are paid by the government. Um, that's, that is something that is not a burden for the patient. However, in, in the beginning, it was also the government that paid the kidney donor. Um, there was a regulated system where the government paid a donor the equivalent of about $3,500, which was it's a lot of money. And a lot more than, yeah. than it does now, yeah. Sure. And it wasn't called a payment. It was called a gift for your altruism. Um, and also you could, the donor could negotiate with the patient for, um, for more money. The patient could also provide an extra gift for altruism. And that negotiation was conducted in private, so nobody knew what happened. If a donor was being extortionate, then the patient could complain and would instantly be assigned another donor. So donors didn't have a huge amount of leverage in that situation. So that was really the cost to, to the patient. Um, over time, however, the government payment has eroded and now essentially it is the patient who is paying the donor. And that has created lots of problems because um, poor patients can't do it. There are, there's a lot of charity um, to help poor patients pay donors. But in some regions of the country that are particularly poor, like in the Kermanshaw region, that charity runs out about halfway through the year. And so essentially their kidney donor system has broken down as of July or as uh, halfway through the, the, uh, the fiscal year in Iran. But that is, that's how it's supposed to work now. Um, mainly the payment now comes from the patient. And it's, there's presumably some culturally or market-based combination of both price that's, I assume, somewhat well-established there. I don't I assume it's not, the prices aren't all over the map 
except by region. They're not. They're in all fact, over the map because the government, it's not a national market. It's a regional market. That's but, right. But go ahead. No, no. The government has set a price, actually. It's just about um, – it's um, about it's over $5,000, and the government pays $350 of that. So all the rest is on the patient. And as you say, there, there are some charities that help with that. They may not do so well in some settings, some parts of the country, some – Types of patients who were so poor they they struggle to pay that, but uh, overall it works pretty well. There, there's some other problems with the system though that people I'm not complain sure I about. I would say overall it works pretty well. The, the, the money is a big problem. Why? Um, I mean, the interesting thing about the Iran system to me is that this is a fairly poor country that's doing it, and the problems that it has run into are poor country problems. They're not problems that are inherent in the idea of paying kidney donors. Rich countries could adopt this system and do a much better job with it and not have these issues like, for example, running out of money halfway through the year. But what are some That's th- why I was interested in writing about Iran. But for them, the, the, the huge budget cuts in this system have been a very big issue that really means um, it's, you know, basically, if you can pay for a kidney, you can get one. And if you can't, in a, in a lot of places, you, you have to wait a long time. But there are other issues that people worry about. Uh, one of the things you wrote about was the uh, post-op um, experience. There's not a lot of follow-up. Some of the patients deliberately either find it costly or they don't want to be uh, dealing with the system after they've made the donation and gotten the money. So talk about what some of those issues That's are. That's right. Yeah, they've, they've found it very difficult to make sure that after the operation – the kidney donors get get adequate medical follow-up. And they're supposed to get a year of of, uh, health insurance, although actually now I think everyone in Iran gets free health insurance. Um, But a lot of people didn't come in again, and they found that the donors had given the the transplant organizations uh, fake telephone numbers. Now, why would they want to do that? One reason is that because donors are paid, it's a bit stigmatized. People assume, oh, if you're donating your kidney, you're a drug addict and you want money for drugs. In fact, that's almost never the case because those people are screened out. Um, and there's, there's even financial counseling, so organizations won't allow kidney donors inle- to donate a kidney unless they feel that the money they'll get is actually going to solve their financial problems. If it's only going to make a small dent in it, these people sometimes get turned down. So um, it, it is stigmatized. But I just read a very interesting study that said even with related donors, people's, people's friends or family, those donors are often lost to follow up after the hmm. surgery. But they don't trust I'm not them. sure what, what that means. <laughs> well, a lot or of people don't. don't feel like they need it. Yeah, it's, it's a perfectly safe operation. Um, you know, we don't need a kidney. Your chances of survival with one kidney are essentially the same as with two because if you're going to get an infection, you're going to get it in both kidneys anyway. So um, there's not always a lot of need for medical care afterwards. Well, I understand the idea that you don't want to go into a doctor's office if you feel okay because they might want to take something else out. You know, there's a certain (laughs) – Which they won't pay you for. Right. There's a certain unease about – I'm sure there's a natural human thing about coming back into the facility. Uh, I would think unless you have some serious problems, you probably just say, I think that's done. And and there might be some psychological related issues I want to come back to. But – Yeah. yeah, some people don't really want to meet with their um, donor and recipient meetings, which used to be in person, are now someplace not in places not in person because it's just uncomfortable. It's psychologically uncomfortable. Some people want to meet their their patient or their donor, but a lot of people don't. And the same, I assume, is true about the recipient. They want to meet the recipient or they yeah. don't. Exactly. Yeah, I was I was thinking about um, I was thinking about Maimonides. The 13th century um, Jewish scholar, when he ranks charities, he he has a ranking of of charity, and the highest level of charity is to help someone get off charity, to give to give them a job or teach them a skill. But once you're giving somebody money, and we've been talking about charity a little bit lately on Econ Talks, so I thought it's a nice connection. You're giving people money or resources. Uh, he emphasizes the importance of anonymity and. He mentions that it's a high level to, for the donor not to know the recipient and the recipient not to know the mm-hmm. donor. And in a way, you think, well, that's kind of – wouldn't it be great if they knew each other and 
But in fact, in these situations, many times there's a deep unease because the debt is either too large to be repaid or the person who's made that gift feels that maybe they're owed something that can't be paid. I don't know. I can imagine there are issues there. Yeah, it is. It's very complicated. So talk about the charity that's involved in this. Uh, you called it a middle a middleman in your piece. Um, this is a non-governmental agency, as, as I understood it. It's a private organization that helps make this market work. Tell us about it. Yeah, it's really important to not have a middleman who makes a profit because otherwise they would have incentives to make matches and create transplants where they would be medically inappropriate. So you don't want, you don't want someone who has a financial incentive in making uh, transplants happen. So there, there are associations in, in every region of Iran that are, um, they're dialysis and kidney transplant patient associations. So it's often the patients themselves and their families, and they run these non-governmental organizations that are the places that um, donors come into to say, hi, I want to give my kidney. And then um, they handle all the, the, the paperwork. They send them to a place to get their medical tests, et cetera. And they also are places that maintain uh, funds to help people who can't pay kidney donors to get the money to do that. So that's a very important part of the process. You don't want brokers in the middle who are going to take a cut well, or who have a financial incentive. I'm not so sure about that. We don't have any experience with such brokers, but often in markets. Well, that's how the black market works, well, right? But, I mean, yeah, but the black market is classic. You have the rich person coming from the West, North America or Europe or Israel, and they go to some poor country and they contacted a broker and they pay $150,000 the broker gets 145000 of it, and the poor donor gets 5000 That's not what you want. Well, it depends. It depends on the quality. And it, when you're doing a, a legal transaction, it's much harder for brand name and reputation to help improve those, those situations, right? So I started to say we don't, have any, we don't have a lot of experience with how a for-profit broker would work in a legal market, right? So, for example – you might argue that if it's a for-profit market, groceries wouldn't have an incentive to provide healthy food because they could save money on oversight. But then they lose their reputation and they go out of business. So if there's an open market, on the other hand, with a black market with, say, drugs in the United States, say where drugs are – talking about recreational drugs now, it's hard to have quality because I, my brand name might be difficult to establish because it's an illegal under-the-table activity already – so I just want to put that out there. I don't. I don't disagree with you that a that a for that a nonprofit can do a wonderful job, but sometimes for profit is better. And I don't think we have a very good understanding of that. Certainly, in the situation you're talking about, a for profit can be exploitive, and uh, especially in illegal markets. And that's uh, so. I, re- I agree with you on that. Um, are there, is there more than one of these uh, ch- nonprofit charities that does the coordination? Or is there a national one? Or is there one in each region? Do you have any, Do you know? There's one in each region, and each region's policies are a bit different. Um, for example, in the Shiraz region, they don't use a paid donor system. Shiraz was the first region to develop a deceased donor program, um, and they've been doing a really good job with that. In, in part, they've been able to do that because of the infrastructure that was set, set up by the paid donor system. You need doctors who know how to do these transplants. You need hospitals that can do them. You need testing facilities. And now um, Shiraz has moved into this deceased donor model, and it works well in part because um, if you if you need a kidney in Shiraz and you wait for a deceased donor, if you don't get one in six months, then you can go elsewhere and get a paid donor. So you outside have a, the region. You have that, exactly. You have that uh, safety valve. And um, people don't have to wait that long for deceased donors because of there is the paid donor system. Sure. So they, they complement each other. Um, there's some controversy. Some people say, well, you know, the, the establishment of the paid donor system has precluded Iran from doing the deceased donors. But um, there's a lot of people in Iran who disagree with that, and they feel like, no, it's been, it's been helpful. 
But the good news is that deceased donor is increasing in Iran. Um, and that's, that's very important. I, I was just a, I think what a medical fact, which I was surprised to read, is that your life exp- and this could be there could be selectivity bias, selection bias here in the data, but this evidently is the raw data that your probability, your life expectancy, I was going to say your probability of surviving, but your life expectancy um, when you're on dialysis versus receiving a kidney from a deceased donor versus receiving a kidney from a live donor are very, very different. So um, dialysis is doesn't tragically is is you can't stand it forever or very long even you just it doesn't a few years i think is the life expectancy um but a live donor kidney works better in your body than a deceased donor kidney so something again assuming there's no selection bias in the kidney there's something destructive that happens not surprisingly perhaps in that weight um in in keeping that kidney functioning in some dimension once the person's passed away versus a live kidney transplant. So live kidney transplants are, quote, higher quality. Yeah, that's right. Deceased donor transplants, very often the kidney doesn't start working right away, and you have to be on dialysis for a day or two um, before the kidney sort of gets jump-started. It is slightly different, although, as you say, both of them are far superior to dialysis. It's a live kidney doesn't clean your blood very well. It, most dialysis cleans about fifteen percent as well as your kidneys do, and the toxins the toxins uh, kill you. A live uh, a donation of a live kidney can the expect the average is I think uh, tw- is up to twenty years. Not the average, but it's up to twenty years survival. Which is you know I don't know whether you die from kidney problems with that. What it means to say your ex- life expectancy is twenty years, but. That's pretty good. Um, and you can then get another one afterwards. I wonder if there's a uh, – a uh, if they're working on a 3D printed kidney. <laughs> well, that would solve a lot of problems. I, I can't help but – I can't help but think of it. And, and I, the other thought I, that I'm embarrassed comes to mind is that uh, this is the ultimate example of the sharing economy. You know, you have your car sitting in the driveway or your house when you're on vacation, better example. I mean, you know, you're, not, you're not there, so why not rent it out? Um, your car at the parking lot, you can rent out somebody else's car in a parking lot at the airport now while they're on their trip. Well, that second kidney is just sitting there. So this is really uh, the uberfication of medicine, to some, at least in Iran. <laughs> I hadn't thought of it that way. Yeah, I hadn't either. It just came to me while I was reading your oh, work. Yeah. <laughs> If you, if, you, if you listen more to Econ Talk, Tina, you'd think of it that way because we, we talk a lot about okay. the sharing economy. <laughs> Something to look forward yeah. to. Um, let's see. If we, do I want to ask you, is there anything else? Oh, the other thing I want to ask you about Iran before we move on to some issues um, of reform. Uh, you described it as, quote, a safe operation. Um, it's relatively safe. It's still, a you know, the old uh, form of uh, – I guess it's a joke, you know, minor surgery, something that happens to someone else. Uh, right. A safe mm-hmm. operation is one that, that's done on someone else too, I guess. Uh, do you know anything about how dangerous it is to be a donor in uh, Iran versus other countries of similar, say, income level? Or versus the United States where we do, you know, we do live transplants yeah. too, just not not through an open market. Not paid. Um I don't, my guess would be that there is a higher death rate in Iran of donors, although probably still extremely low, but it's not because the medical care is worse. It's because when you pay donors, the people who are going to be donating their kidney are very poor people and very poor people tend to come in sicker than than middle-class people. So you're dealing with a patient base that's going to have more underlying problems Although obviously they're screened, and if people come in with obvious underlying medical issues, they're not accepted as donors. So I think there is there is the possibility of complication or death, um, and it's probably slightly higher than in systems that don't have paid donors, but it isn't very high. It, it is still a very safe operation. I, I do want to say something that's important, though, which is it's not the case in Iran that because you have a paid donor, you get your kidney two weeks after you need one, although... There, I've talked to somebody whose friend got a kidney two weeks after he decided he needed one. Um, you wait for many reasons. They're just not reasons of being um, of finding a donor. 
for example, even once you've been matched with a donor, you have to go through medical tests. Your donor will go through more specific medical tests. You have price negotiations. If that donor is found not to be a match or pulls out for another reason, then you start that process again. There's also many reasons um, that um, th there are other reasons that people wait. So there is a waiting list in Iran. And there's a lot of people on dialysis who just choose not to um, to get a kidney transplant, which is the the um, the head of the Iran Renal um, and Tissue Bank said that um, there are a lot of people who don't want kidney transplants in Iran. It's not as it's not as um, I guess it's not as seen as acceptable as much as it is in the United States, where here it's just a clear preference. Well, it's a little bit of a um, weird so thing. There, right? So there are people in Iran who are on dialysis. There's lots of them, and there are people in Iran who are waiting for a kidney. But the key is that in most places, except for these exceptions in Shiraz, where they do the, the deceased donors, and in Kermanshaw, where they run out of money, and in other places where the where budget problems have have caused a breakdown in the system, they're not waiting for a donor, and the wait for a donor is the significant wait in. I'd say every other country of the world that does transplants. Yeah, thinking about the cultural issues, you know, joking about um, the sharing economy, but you know, when you rent a house in Air on Airbnb and you walk into a stranger's house, it's a little weird. A little weird to be in their house with their stuff. It's not a hotel, uh, and it must be weird for the people renting the house to have strangers in their house. Well, you know, for some people, I suppose <laughs> taking somebody else's kidney is yeah. just weird. It's it's like there's something slightly macabre or creepy or eerie about it. I don't know, but, uh, I, know, but I have, a, I have a, actually a donor ligament in my body, which is of course nothing like having a kidney, but it is a piece of someone else's body that's in mine and never produced a second thought in my case. But yeah, uh, I yeah. can imagine for some people it would be. And we should also mention dialysis is not pleasant. So it's not like uh, you just go in and, um, you know, you take a pill. It's, it's so people who are turning down this either out of fear of surgery or for cultural reasons or emotional, psychological reasons. It's, it's not an easy thing to be on dialysis. So it's an interesting Definitely phenomenon. not. So in, Definitely not. So the, the, you wrote a couple of articles. And of course, we'll put links up to those at the Times. And it, you know they're, they're very well written. They're extremely interesting, which is why I'm, we're talking. But I, Thank you. Uh, you're welcome. But I suppose there are other things that came to mind that didn't fit into those articles. And I, I just want to ask you, you talked to a lot of doctors in Iran. You talked to Iranians who were here in the United States. You read some books. Um, and you reported a lot of facts, and we absorbed them as the reader. And I'm wondering if you got some other less tangible impressions. Are they proud of their system? Are they uneasy about it? Are they – are there any things you, want, you could tell us about just the impression you got in talking to people who are inside the, this market? It varies. In general, I think they're they're proud of their system. They feel that without it, they would have been in very deep trouble for a long time and still would be. Um, but they recognize all everyone who's involved with the system in Iran recognizes that it has deep, deep problems, mostly financially related. Um, but they do feel that this is a model that other countries can learn from. The other issue with Iran, and I'm sure we'll get into this now talking about the applicability for other countries, is that they're under a lot of criticism. Um, um, there's, you know, there's a lot of ideological objection to the idea of, of paying uh, someone to donate a body part to you, um, issues of exploitation. In my opinion, if you break those down and you really think through them, they don't hold up. That's my opinion. Yep, we're going to get to that. Um, yep. and, I agree and with so you. And <laughs> so the Iranians really do have to um, fend off a lot of pressure from outside to um, to abandon the system. Say that again? Pressure from outside to abandon the system. Meaning? Um, meaning that, for example, um, a lot of, of global transplantation societies constantly condemn this and say, you know, we should not be paying kidney donors. And uh, that's it. So, and, and, and Iran is trying to hold on to that, keep their system the way it is, you think? I think they're probably pretty accustomed to dealing with global pressure in many ways by now. But yes, they are trying to hold on to that. Yeah, I'm not a big fan of Iran, um, but 
I'm happy to import something useful. This would be one of the things I would be happy to take. Um, so it's, um, I think it's wonderful that, you know, we have a essentially a laboratory, you know, we've, we've, we have some data, some experience, of course, as you say, if we did it in the United States, we, we, we would do it differently for a hundred reasons and it, the outcomes would be different for a hundred reasons. But the idea that it would obviously be an evil thing that would exploit the poor isn't generally happening. There are issues with that, obviously, but um, as you point out, it's not, doesn't have to be that way. That's right. And I think that's the important point. But going back to this issue of, of just sort of the impressions you got, so they're under some pressure. Do they seem satisfied with it? Do they feel, do, do they have guilt about it because of this? Not, not because it's, <laughs> the, no, I'm serious. Not because, is there some embarrassment in that, that they, they, they pay people for their kidneys? Uh, forget the pressure part. I'm just, you know, for example, to take the, the opposite example, people in Canada, many people are very proud that they have free health care and that the system works the way it does. It's a source of national pride for some Canadians. Some right. don't like it, obviously. But a lot of people, it's, it's, a, it's a psychological benefit to them that they have this system. Does, did you feel anything like that in Iran or the opposite? I don't know. I mean, I, I, I didn't, I'm not really in a position to delve deeply into the Iranian psyche, <laughs> but I, I don't feel, I did not sense any embarrassment whatsoever. I felt that people, the, the doctors and the economists that I talked to all felt this was a really creative solution that the world can learn from. And yes, it's got a lot of problems, but um, there's nothing to be ashamed of. And just one other thing I want to emphasize, obviously, this is uh, the Iranian system is a mixture of what I would call private and public. The public is going through their national health health uh, system, the private. And by private, I don't mean for profit necessarily. People often assume private means for profit, run like a business. But I think it's important to remember that there's a third leg of that uh, system, which is a it's voluntary. In that sense, it's private. It's 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 nonprofit, and it's um, it's in this case working with the public to have it happen. But obviously, uh, when you say you don't want the government to do X, Y, or Z, it doesn't necessarily mean you want it to be all run for profit through business. And the middle the middleman role that the charities play in Iran is an example of how civil society can help solve these problems in possibly ways that are much better than either for profit or purely public. Okay, I agree with that. Okay, let that's just my yeah my little soapbox because I, I I find it I find it frustrating. For example, but when I say things like I want to privatize the American school system, they say, well, that'd be awful. Uh, for you know, businesses may be good at producing uh, wheat or shirts or electronic devices, but they're they're terrible at schooling because they'll just they'll just hire the, they'll just enroll the best students and charge them the most money. And that's that could be true in a, in a for-profit system, but we have lots of private schools that some do that anyway, and some don't do it. They're devoted to trying to help people who are, who are very poor and want to finance their activities through donations or other means. So I just think it's really crucial when we think about social issues that we keep that third option um, out there and that that's a, uh, a voluntary op- private option that's not the government doing it. Um, Let's move to the United States. So, you uh, you talk to these folks in Iran and 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 talk to a lot of doctors and some patients. It sounds like, and as you said a few minutes ago, it seems like a, nothing really immoral about it. Uh, did you have that feeling coming into this? Um, and uh, how, how did, if anything, did your feelings change through these conversations? Oh, they changed a lot. I came in, I had two assumptions that I think I no longer hold. And one of them is that paying donors is necessarily exploitative. And the second one is um, there are serious moral and ethical reasons not to pay donors. I no longer believe either of those things. So try to put yourself back in your old shoes or in the shoes of many people who still feel that way. What, mm-hmm. what's, the, what's the argument on, the, on, on their side? What, what's the exploitive argument and what's the moral argument? Well, the exploitive argument is look at what's going on around the world. Um, You have what I described earlier, which is wealthy tourists who go to poor countries where they meet brokers who 
mistreat and exploit very poor, desperate people and don't give them adequate medical care. And they may, you know, have their operation in some tent in the, you know, in the, somebody's backyard or the middle of a, of the jungle or something. And, um, and that puts very poor people at their health at risk. And then they, and they are forced to, um, they're not forced, but they are fooled into, into selling a kidney for far, far less than, um, than the patient is actually paying. Now, what I learned was, um, you do have that system in many, many poor countries, but you don't have it in Iran precisely because they have this regulated, paid, um, official system that they are paying donors without those issues. So that was, that's one thing I learned. Keep going. Um, yeah. Then, then there's the moral and ethical questions. Well, let's put that. Let me so, just, let me just comment on the first right. thing first and then, then we'll yep. get to the moral issues and the, one of my favorite words, the commodification of um, of things, which concerns some people and and others less so. But uh, I understand the, the the issue. But going back to the exploitation part, it's interesting. I don't like the uh, the operation in the tent any more than you do. But the don't, the broker who collects one hundred and fifty thousand and gives five thousand to the poor person, that person's getting about that same amount in Iran right now. It's just that the person who's getting the kidney isn't a rich tourist who's being exploited by the brokers. In a way, ironically, it it, it isn't clear who's being exploited. I, I chose that number. I chose that number. You're right. It's probably more like 50. Arbitrarily. Except, yeah, good point. Fair enough. Who knows what it is. Yeah, you're right. Yeah. You're right. Um, but there is an issue, uh, which I think is is hard to keep in mind, which is the market price or market value of a kidney in a world where it's illegal and uh, – versus where it's legal and encouraged is going to be different because the number of donors is going to change and the number of recipients is going to change because they're going to feel more comfortable using such a system, right? To me, the idea of, um, you know, flying to a poor country is, it's very unappealing, but I guess if my life were at stake or in dialysis, I might think about spending all that money. Um, But certainly on the donor side, a lot more people are going to donate kidneys if they feel it's safer, if they um, are going to be paid. And so the market price, whatever that price is going to be in a rich or a poor country, and if it's a global market, it, there might be something closer to a world price. It, it's hard to know really what that would be. So in the United States where you know a kidney operation is very exp- – a kidney transplant, the operation part is very expensive. There's no cost out of pocket for anybody on the – for the kidney, it's donated out of pure altruism or uh, yeah, either alive or, or dead. No, no one's getting compensated directly in cash. If we allow people to be compensated in cash, the amount that would be is very hard to know what that would end up being in a market. Well, some economists have tried to put a figure on that. Um, um, they would. Yeah. They would. Yeah, go ahead. <laughs> $15,000 was, was one that um, – let me – who this was have have come up with as uh, as a figure that takes into account the pain and suffering, the risks, et cetera. Um, Gary Becker from University of Chicago, who no doubt you know well, and he was my PhD uh, advisor, who, as it turns out. Yeah, <laughs> is that right? Yeah. Okay. And Julio Elias from uh, an Argentine economist did a study and came up with a fifteen thousand dollar figure. Now, if you translate that into Iran and you you divide it by cost of living, that's about what Iran is paying, mm-hmm. or Iran what is what what Purchasing Iran is asking power. patients to yeah, pay yeah. anyway. Yeah, yeah. Interesting. Uh, yeah. So there's no way of knowing. It's interesting. It's a good starting place. Um, but let's get let's get to the moral issues. Why do people object to the morality the morality of it? What is the moral um, objection? Several reasons. I mean, first of all, there's the idea that this is your body and, and you know, we're going to pay you to sell me a part of your body. That's a big one. Um, and the answer to that, in, in a sense, is, well, we do that in some ways. I mean, people get, get paid for donating plasma in the United States. And, in fact, we are sort of – because of that, we provide plasma to the world. Um, we get paid for donating sperm. We get paid for donating eggs. So that 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 train has left the station in a way. Um, 
And in some ways, the ethical and moral issues about egg donation are far more fraught than they should be about a kidney because, you know, you're not, not producing a, another human being. Yeah. Um, then there's the issue of, well, you know, this is, this is really dangerous dangerous work and, and exploiting the poor by taking advantage of their poverty to lure them into doing this for money. And there are some people who go so far as to say we shouldn't allow poor people to donate kidneys. We should only allow middle-class people to donate kidneys. And the response, I think, to that is that, you know, people do dangerous things for money all the time. Um, we, there's a lot of jobs that are, that are pretty dangerous and um, they wouldn't, people wouldn't take them unless they were they felt the money was worth it. Donating a kidney is far less dangerous than many other jobs. So what's wrong with that? Just as an aside, it's, it's always hard to remember this. You know, when, when the uh, draft in the United States was replaced with the volunteer army, a similar argument was made. Exactly. We're only going to get yeah. poor people. Forgetting the fact that, well, well, there are some poor people. That's fine. Isn't that true? Yeah, yeah. Well, it's not totally true, though. There are a lot of people who go into the army today, quote, not for the money. They're happy. To, they they're perfectly mm-hmm. happy to be paid, but if there's a mix of motives. Just as I assume people would donate kidneys for a mix of motives, uh, poor or rich, there would be the money. That's pleasant, but they also would like the the honor and glory and wondrousness of of saving a person's life. I think that would be, and I think that's just as true for everybody in the world of of commerce. I think it's a shame that we assume that everybody in the world of commerce is quote motivated by money. Mon- money has incentive effects. It can it can alter behavior. It can encourage people to do something they might not otherwise do. But to suggest that's quote the reason is I think very misleading. Yes. Why did you? I so mean, the- yeah, I think I think the army the the military issue is is in some ways a bigger problem because you have the issue of if only poor people serve in the military, you don't have the political pressure from their families. Um, that you might have that were, for example, very important in, um, in ending the Vietnam War. I mean, taking away the college deferment in, during the draft in Vietnam was extremely important Yeah, no, that- because it created a class of, of powerful people who had their kids serving. But that's not an issue with kidney donation. Yeah, the flip side of that, people make that argument. I think it's true. The flip side of that, of course, is that if you have to pay people to get them to risk their lives, if you go run around risking people's lives – through uh, adventurous pol- public uh, foreign policy that's ineffective, you have to pay them a lot more to come into the army, no matter how with their motivation or, or poverty. And so that market signal also plays a role in deterring uh, um, adventurism, I would call it, or oh, there's probably uglier names, but the, the, you get what I mean. Uh, mm-hmm. but, but anyway, I, going back to the kidneys, so as you point out, these moral issues to, to a large extent – at least for you, are not um, decisive any longer. But for many people, they are. It's just awful. It, to encourage people to to cut themselves open to for money is is disgusting. Uh, it's bad. For, it's bad, especially for poor people. Your body is 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 a is a, a special, holy, sacred thing, and therefore it's just off the table. Uh, and I think that's true, by the way, for people, whether they're religious or not, a lot of people feel that way. Um, now that you've feel differently, do you find yourself in conversations with doctors and medical folks, some of which we'll talk about from your article, but they haven't seen the world the way you see it. And how is that? Uh, what's it like for you to deal with that? Well, I just want to add one more piece of this, which is that, yes, if your body is a sacred temple, then let's let's spare some thought to the, to the thousands of people who die waiting for a kidney. Yeah. Um, I mean, yes, it might be, let's, let's stipulate that. Okay. It's morally repugnant to have to pay somebody for donating a kidney. It is certainly more morally repugnant to let someone die because they don't have one. I couldn't agree with you more, but we're in the minority right now, I think in the United States. Um, changing actually and there's some studies that show that it's not actually that much of a minority position well i guess i guess that leads me to my less than attractive thought which is i suspect some of the people who are putting up a stop sign for this kind of innovation in the united states um either have 
might have some not so attractive reasons for holding their views. Did that cross your mind? What do you mean? Well, let's say I'm in the kidney transplant business. And of course, one of the ironies of all this, I think you talk about it. It's, it's not an, it's a pretty obvious thought is that the donor's not allowed to make any money, but the doctor is. The doctor doesn't yeah, isn't the, expected to volunteer. The donor's the only person who yeah, doesn't no, profit in right. the system. The hospital makes money. But I don't see why that would lead people to oppose why why that why that would lead people to oppose paid donors. Well, because uh, here's my thought. I think there's two issues here. One is uh, by one number I saw it might not be up to date, but it's within the last five years. This is a roughly a forty two billion kidney dialysis is a $42 billion market. Yeah. Uh, so I could understand how it might be easy for people involved in that market. And there are a lot of people, not just the people who make dialysis machines, but experts in that market. They kind of have a natural bias toward the status quo and are going to find these moral arguments more compelling. Uh, you raise a good point. It, Although, frankly, there's so many people who need kidneys and that list is going to be growing that I don't think there's going to be any shortage of, of people who need dialysis. But um, I think I have, I have not yet talked to anyone who opposes this idea on what I feel are immoral grounds. People have genuine concerns. I might not agree with them, but they're genuine and they, and they're genuinely held. And one big one is the U S sometimes sets an example for other countries. And we might be able to design a system that um, adopts the good parts of the Iranian model and, and fixes the bad ones. But then other countries, we will have essentially liberated the idea of it's okay to pay kidney donors. And then you'll have lots of countries doing it who won't be able to assure that it's done in, uh, in, without exploitation. Well, so that's I, one concern. I wouldn't question anyone's motives, but I wouldn't put aside the possibility that their own self-interest colors their views, even though Kidney they may not. Kidney doctors don't have don't have that interest of the dialysis company. I'm afraid. I think they do it's, actually. So let, let me get you? that was my next point. <laughs> so, All right. Uh, um, sorry. So, yeah, I agree. it seems that seems like a legitimate point, but I, I'm not sure it's true. So here, here's the counterpart. Um, if you ask, and this just, I always find this fascinating. Uh, if you ask a college football coach what he thinks about the idea of paying players, which is an idea that has come up in the last um, five to 10 years as a somewhat serious proposal. It, 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 it's drifted from an economist blogging about it to um, to serious. And the NCAA has Rigorous, vigorously oppose this. And occasionally I'll hear a, a football or basketball coach interviewed where they'll say, oh, it's a ridiculous idea. And, and they'll laugh it off as, as if it's absurd. And of course, they mean it. Um, I think I heard Roy Williams uh, react that way. Roy Williams, the coach at University of North Carolina. I was an undergraduate there. I'm, I like the basketball team. They've got a few embarrassing scandals right now. But on the surface, Roy Williams appears to be a really fine, wonderful human being. And uh, he may not be. I have no idea. But he, but he comes across that way, which, of course, is part of his job. But when he reacts that way, you know, my first thought is, well, he would. Because right now, college sports is exceedingly profitable. And it's an extremely competitive business. And normally that competition would encourage the payment of large sums of money to the best college athletes and some nice sums of money to the pretty very good ones. And some of them wouldn't get paid at all. They'd do it for fun. And that would be with the hopes that they'd get looked at and maybe have a chance to make the pros. Uh, but that would probably mean smaller sums of money for the coach because that's where the competitive pressure now is released. The Schools that compete, instead of competing by paying the athletes, the best athletes, the highest amounts, they compete by paying the best coaches. And so I wonder if in the kidney market, the salaries going to doctors would be the same in a world where donors are paid. Where there were more kidney transplants? Well, you think their salaries would go down if there were more kidney transplants? Uh, that's a good point. Uh, but I'm thinking of the fact that... Uh, the amount, I'd say it's an ambiguous question. I'd say the 
that part would tend to have them paid more because there'd be a higher demand for their services. Uh, there'd be more operations done, but the amount they might get per operation might go down, might go down dramatically. Now, of course, we don't have a free market in surgical procedures, but there'd be budgetary pressure. It's all that I'm of, of a different I, I kind. disagree. I'm, we're going to agree to disagree on That's this fine. one. I do not think that is what's motivating people. Well, I don't think, again, if you asked them, they'd say no. And I, I would just say it, let me say it in a more polite way. I don't think they're sitting around rubbing their hands together saying, I'm making a lot of money. This is fantastic. <laughs> uh, and I don't care that there's X thousand people dying a year from kidney failure. No, th but the status quo is very good to them. That, that's maybe a more attractive way to say it. And so, you know, change is intimidating. Doctors do not like watching their patients die because they cannot get kidneys. That is not something doctors like. And so why yeah, aren't okay, they on the forefront of this movement? Why aren't they, they on the they barricades are. like you Let's and I Let's get are. to that. Let's get to that. <laughs> okay, Let's go ahead. Get to that. Go ahead. <laughs> there is a very strong movement now in the United States. In fact, I would be very surprised if it doesn't prevail and very soon that at least, if not compensating donors, removes the financial barriers to donating a kidney. Now, the problem is in the U.S., you can either get a kidney from um, someone who has died or you can get a kidney from a friend or relative. But that friend or relative has to go through a lot to give you a kidney. They have to take a month off from work to yep. get better. They may have to travel because they live in San Francisco and you live in Charlottesville. And, you know, they have to come for testing and they have to come for the operation. It's financially a very large burden for them. Um, there are cases where... People who are perfect matches don't donate because they can't they can't afford they don't have anybody to take care of their kid for a month and they don't know if their job is going to be waiting for them. For sure. This is not an activity for poor people, and that's a very large problem in the United States. Our system is discriminatory because poor people do not have the same access to live related donors that wealthier people do. So there is a, a movement now to remove those disincentives to allow compensation for lost time at work, to provide people in some cases with uh, health insurance. Some people have proposed giving them health insurance for life because who knows, you might have a complication 20 years from now from donating your kidney. Um, and the line between compensating donors and removing disincentives is a very fuzzy one, but there is definitely almost unanimous political will for removing disincentives. Yeah, and again, to keep up the sports analogy, uh, athletes, college athletes, uh, some people will say, well, they do get paid. They get free tuition, they get room and board, and that's true. Uh, but it's not, I suspect, the market price. It's interesting how people will accept that, but that to go a little bit farther across that line into the, and here's a little extra or right. a lot extra. Mm -hmm. So, you know, to come back to your earlier disagreement, a minute ago disagreement, I, I think for some people it's just a philosophical disagreement that, that economists are much happier being on one side of than, say, non-economists. So, you know, your your comment that some people are worried this might become a role model for other countries who might not do it as well, and my thought is that would be glorious. That would be great. I'd love to see other countries do it even not as well because it might be better conceivably than what they currently have. And if you... That's a good point. You know, but, but, but it doesn't... I think for a lot of people that doesn't carry much weight because they just don't like the intrusion of a decentralized, possibly profit-driven market system. And I, and I get that. I, I, I don't agree with it, but I get that. I think that is another piece of this that I think ties into the commodification issue. You're selling part of your body. Um, people are uneasy with market forces encouraging <laughs> things that they don't like or that they're I'm not— thinking of I'm thinking of what somebody told me. Some I was talking to somebody about a proposal that would compensate the families of people who have died um, for, for for donating their relative's kidney. And the man I was talking to said, oh, you don't want that because then you'd have the specter of the family just fighting over who's going to get the money. And I was thinking, yeah, this is the first time that a family will have fought over who gets the money right. from a deceased person. Right. That's not I mean, a good argument. We yeah. have a time-honored <laughs> tradition of that in the United States. Let's I think all over the world. Expand yeah. it a little bit more. Yeah. But there is an issue we haven't talked about, which is you know the so-called sli sli slippery slope issue. Yeah. Uh, I think the more worrisome thing is uh, – uh, Let's not uh, 
let's not take care of uh, of the relative because when the relative passed away, we get this big windfall from the kidney donation. I think that or the general, you know, the, there's a um, hideous scene in um, Monty Python movie of, uh, you know, we only take the uh, – it's it's a live transplant. The guy, the, the doctors are removing the kidney from a patient, and he says, "But I'm not, I'm not dead." He said, "Oh, you will be when we're done." And of course, that, that's a really dark humor. But the just the, the joke there, the, not the joke. The serious issue is, will um, will people be less if we commodify again some of these things, or we allow people to be comp- relatives to be compensated? Will there be less careful about preserving life, et cetera? And anyone who stands possibly to inherit money from somebody has those same financial pressure on them, which we hope that they will overcome. Um, But this is, it's not something, what we're talking about isn't something new to add that, that extra financial pressure. Yeah, for sure. Um, And the other problem is that um, very, very few people who die are medically qualified to donate your kidneys. You have to die in a certain way. You have to be brain dead um, and yet the rest of your organs are, 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 are still working. So that is a situation where relatives are asked to make decisions. And so what you're talking about may come into play. I think, I think it can be an issue in that case. The other issue, I guess, is budgetary at the, at the governmental level as, as, um, as our population ages, uh, we're going to face an issue. And as they, as we get larger, <laughs> we're not just getting more numerous, uh, the elderly, we're going to get larger because we're going to, as you say, we're going to be more obese. We're going to more likely to have diabetes or more likely to have kidney problems. Uh, the budgetary pressure on that dialysis payment is, uh, I suspect, going to be a part of what pushes the political system towards allowing some of these innovations. Do you agree? Yes, um, and it's a terrible pressure. I mean, I was just reporting a story in Mexico, which is somewhat related, and and they don't cover their health system doesn't cover dialysis. Um, so you either pay for it yourself or you die. The reason they don't cover dialysis is if they covered dialysis, they would not be able to do, do anything, anything else, yeah. else. Yeah. anything. Um, so there is that. However, just as an example of how irrational Medicare can be, Medicare will only pay for three years of anti-rejection medicine for people who have a new kidney, um, which is absurd because that means they're they're likely to lose their kidney and therefore need another one or go on dialysis. That is such an incredible false economy. Um, but yet that's the way it works. And, and people throw up their hands and say, this is ridiculous, but it's still the system. So it's logic very expensive. doesn't always rain. I think it's $14,000 a year for that medicine. It, it, so that's part of it, it but is. it doesn't, but it doesn't make sense because the dialysis and the everything else is even more expensive. So exactly. Yeah. Um, we're almost out of time. I just first I want to salute you for changing your mind, which is something that we talk about here on Econ Talk. How hard it is for people <laughs> to change your mind, and in particular about a moral issue, which I think is, is uh, particularly difficult for people. I'd like to, I'd like us to close by hearing from you how you feel um, in talking to people in the medical establishment. You, you feel like we're moving in a maybe a more uh, positive direction toward allowing some of these innovations. Um, I'm curious if you're optimistic about it and if you think you as a reporter are going to play a role in that. You know, you wrote a couple stories. They're very nice. They're up on the web forever, or at least for a long, long time. They might encourage somebody to think twice about it. Um, Has this become a cause for you um, or is it just something you've just changed your mind on? It's not a cause for me. I mean, I think to me it it seems like there's a clear direction which I would like to see the country going, but um, you know I've I've written a story about it, and and you know I'm not I'm not an activist on the subject. I do feel optimistic that there is going to be a movement very soon to make it financially at least hold hold it financially neutral to donate a kidney. The problem is that that is not enough. Yeah. Um, we that is not going to um, come anywhere near. Uh, covering the need for for kidneys, so um, I would like to see a serious discussion of, on the pros and cons, and I'd like to see some pilot programs 
try different schemes of, of um, compensating kidney donors on a small scale and see what happens. Just on a factual note, I, I don't think I mentioned this before. I think there are about 80, I think I saw there are about 87,000 people who die a year from kidney uh, failure. Of course, they're not all candidates for transplants, but tens of thousands are. And uh, to come back full circle on our uh, sharing economy, uh, I think we're moving toward a world of driverless cars, which I think will be a great thing. And one of the uh, effects of that will be, thank God, fewer people dying in car accidents. But that will mean fewer deceased kidney donations, I think, unless I have that wrong. No, and- you're, you're right. And that's motorcycle helmet laws have actually greatly decreased the number of available donor kidneys. So as a result, the gap between the people who could use a kidney, it's, it's tens of thousands of people who die each year who, if this changed, maybe would still be alive. So it seems to me it's something worth taking pretty seriously. I agree. My guest today has been Tina Rosenberg. Tina, thanks for being part of EconTalk. Thank you for having me. This is EconTalk, part of the Library of Economics and Liberty. For more EconTalk, go to econtalk.org, where you can also comment on today's podcast and find links and readings related to today's conversation. The sound engineer for EconTalk is Rich Goyette. I'm your host, Russ Roberts. Thanks for listening. Talk to you on Monday.